Um, great. If we haven't met before, I'm Jess, and I live in Holbeck, and I'm one of the mission group leaders here at South Gathering. Um, and if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're currently in a series called Food for the Soul. And we've been looking at some of the Psalms that um, I used in the New Testament. And so the Psalms, if you don't know, are a collection of songs and poems and prayers that have been used by God's people for thousands of years. And Jesus and his followers and the Jewish Christians in the early church, they would have known these songs by heart. And, and they were a vital part of temple and then later early church worship. And um, essentially, oh, sorry, I'm a bit croaky. And um, they, um, yeah, they were the original, they are the original hymn book. And Jesus quoted the Psalms often, as did many of the other New Testament authors, which I think speaks of their relevance for us as followers of Jesus today. And the Psalms should continue to shape our worship today, because they really are food for the soul. And as a child, I was very capable of entertaining myself for many hours on end alone. I would do things like turn my um, room into a doctor's surgery and use all of my cuddly toys as patients. Um, or once I turned all of my books into my own personal library so that I could lend my books to my friends and know exactly who had what and when they were meant to bring it back. Um, or I would use the kitchen table as my own artist studio and then leave it in a mess after I'd finished, um, something I still do today. Um, and um, another of my hobbies, which was a little bit weirder, um, was that I would sometimes just find a Bible lying around the house and open it in the Psalms, and I would just sing the Psalms to myself, making up tunes for um, the songs that I was reading. Um, and I can remember once in particular, um, I was reading, a, um, I think I found a Bible at my grandparents' house, and then it was a slightly older version of the Bible, and um, I got to a bit where it was talking about aliens. I was like, oh, Mum! Aliens are real. It says so in the Bible. And my mum pointed out that aliens can also just mean foreigners, somebody from a different place. I was quite disappointed. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, I'm not sure that my singing of the songs was actually a particularly spiritual experience at the time. Um, it was just something that I did for fun. Um, <laughs> but the psalms are meant to be sung. They are ancient songs. Um, but they're also prayers, and they teach us how to worship. They teach us how to enter into God's presence. The Psalms are full of emotion, often very raw emotion. They're full of anger and sadness. They're full of joy and elation. And they're also full of the wonder of who God is. They're full of um, his character. And throughout the Psalms, we also get to see the story of God's people. And today we're looking at Hebrews 3. So if you've got Bibles, feel free to find Hebrews 3. Um, but Hebrews 3 quotes Psalm 95. So if you have a paper Bible, it might be easier to find both. But if you've got it on your phones, that's fine. So um, Psalm 95 is a call to worship. And it's been used as part of Christian liturgies as far back as can be traced. And um, it's known as the Venite, which is the Latin for come. And it's a song that is meant to be sung within the Christian community, and it's a call to worship. It's us calling one another to come into God's presence. So in Psalm 95, it says, oh, let me just get up. 
Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depth of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, um, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This psalm, like many, is full of reminders of God's character. Psalm 95 reminds us that God is our rock, that he is our firm foundation. Rocks are strong, aren't they? God is strong, but he's also our saviour. Our salvation, our saving, our rescue is found in him. And the psalm goes on to speak of God as creator, the one who made all things, the one who can hold the mountains and the depths of the sea in his hand. He is the God above all else. And this God, who is great and awesome, calls us his own. We are his people. The people of his pasture, the flock or the sheep under his care. This psalm not only reminds us of the awesomeness of God, but it reminds us that he is a God who knows us, who cares for us, who protects us and welcomes us into his presence. It speaks of intimacy. And this is the God that we worship as Christians. But Psalm 95 is also a warning. And it's the second half of the psalm that I've not read yet that is quoted in Hebrews 3. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn back to Hebrews 3. So, oh, starting in verse 7, sorry. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Um, those aren't easy verses to read, are they? The warnings in them are pretty clear and they're direct. We can't just skip over parts of the Bible that we find a little bit more uncomfortable. 
we believe that the whole Bible is God's word. And it says, like the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But so why has the Hebrew author quoted Psalm 95? And what can we learn today from these words? Um, Hebrews is a book that actually we don't know that much about. We don't know who the author was, and we don't really know who the original audience were either. But throughout Hebrews, um, the Old Testament is quoted, and there are continuous references back to the Old Covenant and um, to many Jewish um, heroes of faith. And so we can presume that the original audience were Jewish converts to Christianity. Um, As I said at the beginning, the Jewish Christians would have known the Psalms by heart. And there's something, isn't there, about songs that they get, we remember them, don't we? We can remember songs that we sang when we were in primary school. We can remember songs that we've not heard many times. And sometimes I wake up in the morning with a song in my head that I don't even remember the last time that I listened to. There's something, we remember them. And so for the um, Hebrew author, he quotes the second half of the psalm, the warning about not hardening our hearts. But he ha- they haven't quoted the earlier part of the psalm, but they didn't need to, because the Hebrews would have known that this warning comes in the middle, actually, of several psalms that proclaim God's majesty. And um, Tom Wright puts it like this, this collection of psalms, so kind of from Psalm 90 to 100, they celebrate the promise that the creator of the world will, will renew his creation, judging it in the sense of pronouncing definitively against all that has corrupted and defaced it, and putting it right once and for all. You see, the Hebrews held on to this promise that God would renew his creation, And the Hebrew author, before the verses we read, has been reminding their audience that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, that God is going to renew his creation. You see, um, just earlier in Hebrews, it says that Jesus in his death meant that every violation and disobedience received its just punishment but also that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is the one who has broken the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so just as the Psalms include a warning, so too the Hebrew author warns their readers. And um, Tom Wright again um, puts it like this. He says, those who invoke Yahweh that's God, as the judge of all, must themselves live in the light of that coming judgment. It is all very well to praise Yahweh and to celebrate his creation, but your own life must then be brought into line without grumbling or murmuring. In Hebrews 3 and Psalm 95, well, they're actually telling a story of something that happened even earlier. They quote something from before. You see, when it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Well, the original Hebrew that is used in the psalm uses the words Meribah and Massa instead of rebellion and testing. And Meribah and Massa are the names that Moses gives to a place um, uh, after an event that happens during the exodus. 
Um, and yeah, so that story is told in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, and I've paraphrased it slightly to tell you all. <laughs> so the people of God, the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. You see, they were living in Egypt where they were slaves, where they were oppressed. And God had heard the cries of his people in Egypt. He had heard them crying for rescue. And God has rescued the people. They are currently out of Egypt. God has brought them out of slavery and oppression. And through Moses, um, he has redeemed his people. And Moses is currently leading them into the promised land, a land that is a land of milk and honey, which was a way of saying a land of goodness, a land of abundance. And we enter the story as the Israelites reach a place to camp. Um, But there's a problem with this place that they've chosen, because there's no water. And the Israelites begin to exclaim, Moses, have you led us and our children and our livestock out of Egypt to make us die of thirst? Now, you could think that they're right to make that complaint. They, there's, no, there's no water, and you can't live very long without water, can you? But remember, these are the same people who are currently being guided through the desert by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that represent God's presence. And they've already seen God do the miraculous countless times. They were in Egypt when God sent the plagues that made Pharaoh change his mind and let them go. They've been eating food, manna and quail, that just sort of appears out of nowhere each day. And these are the same people who walked across the Red Sea on dry land. Now, I don't know if any of you here have seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, but the scene in The Prince of Egypt where Moses, um, like, through God's power, parts the Red Sea. It's incredible. It's like, it's amazing. I wasn't brave enough to get an actual video clip because I'm not that technically advanced. Um, but um, there's a moment where Moses like puts his staff in the water and the water sort of just like explodes up into the sky. And then there's like, a path that's created through the sea and the water is held up like walls and as the Israelites walk through it it's like they're in an aquarium and there's like massive fish going past and they just walk across to dry land and then once they've come through the Egyptians follow them and the water just comes crashing back down and I mean if it was that incredible in a film can you imagine being there in real life like walking through a sea So that's what the Israelites have already seen. But now there's no water. And what's their first reaction? We are going to die. And in numbers they cry out, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no corn or figs, no grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And I'm not really surprised that God comes through again. There's water that just, Moses strikes a rock and water comes out of a rock. But the Israelites, they didn't trust that God was who he says that he is. Rather than thinking, oh, this God who we've already seen do the miraculous, who has saved us from slavery and oppression. 
rather than thinking, oh, that God who's already done so much, surely he's going to come through again. They look back to Egypt and they want to go back to where they had things like cucumbers and melons and figs and pomegranates rather than looking to the future, the promised land. And Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 are a stark reminder that those Israelites that left Egypt, they never made it to the promised land. Because of their unbelief, they never got there. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I look back at the Israelites and I think, how could they have been so daft? Surely, surely they could have seen that the future was so much better than the past. But if I'm honest, often actually I'm just like that. I know that I've been saved from slavery. I have been brought out of oppression and into freedom. And yet I can look back to the past. I can look back to Egypt and think that that would be better than the future that God has promised. And both in Hebrews 3 and Psalm 95, it says, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You see, we are forced to put ourselves in the story because we are all like the Israelites. You see, our slavery is different to theirs, but we are all, the Bible says, we are slaves to sin. And Jesus said it like this. He said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the reality is, is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But fortunately, Jesus goes on to say, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, we don't have to be slaves to sin forever. In fact, because of Jesus' death, we are no longer slaves to sin. But we are sons, we are born into adoption, and we, are, we have a pl- permanent place in God's family. And so just as the Israelites were rescued and redeemed from slavery in Egypt, we are rescued and redeemed from slavery to sin. You see, God through his son, Jesus, rescues and redeems each of us. And actually even more amazing than the parting of the Red Sea, God sent Jesus. And the Hebrew author describes Jesus like this. Jesus is the Son. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And you see, Jesus lived, but he also died a brutal death. But then he rose again, so that you and I and everyone who believes in him would know life and freedom and forgiveness. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection conquered death and sin forever. The cross means forgiveness for our sins and all the wrong things that we do. But it also means that all of the wrong that is done to us, all of the things that other people do that cause us pain and um, sadness, all of that is dealt with on the cross too. So not only is there freedom from the sin and guilt that we carry, there's also freedom from all the pain, anger, bitterness and sadness that we may carry. And um, there's a moment when Jesus died where there's a curtain in the temple that separated God's people from God's like dwelling place. 
And that curtain was torn in two as Jesus died. And just like the Red Sea was parted so the Israelites could come through, that curtain symbolized a moment where we can enter into God's presence. And we can do that whenever we want. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection, well, it's made it possible for us to enter God's presence. And the cross means that we can have life eternal with God. And so all of those promises of God, that there was, there's a land of goodness, there's a land of abundance, a place where there's no more death or sadness, a place of beauty and joy, a place full of life, and a place where we will eternally be in God's presence. That's a place that we've been promised. It's a future that we look towards. But we have a choice to make. You see, the Israelites, they had that future given to them. They were promised the promised land. But they continually looked back to Egypt. They looked back to the past rather than trusting that God was really enough, rather than trusting that God's promises were true. And so will we be like the Israelites or will we look to Jesus and our future hope in the restoration and redemption of all things? Will we trust that what God says really is true? And there are three warnings in Hebrews. And the warnings are, do not harden your hearts. And then it goes on to say, do not have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. And thirdly, similarly, do not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Those are big warnings, but fortunately, both the Hebrew author and I think the author of the Psalms give us example, like teach us how we can heed those warnings, how we can make sure that we're not like the Israelites who, because of their unbelief and their lack of trust in God, were unable to enter into God's rest. And so those three things that I think that we can learn from Hebrews and from Psalm 95 are firstly, we need to thi- fix our thoughts on Jesus. Secondly, we need to encourage one another. And thirdly, we need to come into God's presence. So fix your thoughts on Jesus. It says it a lot in the um, in Hebrews, but just before the bit we read, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Um, And Dave mentioned it earlier, but in Hebrews 12, again, it says, And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, how do we do that? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, one of the best ways is to read the Bible. The Bible is full of Jesus. He's in it throughout, like from cover to cover. It's about Jesus. And he is above all things. And we can hear his voice as we read the Bible, as we spend time in his presence. And secondly, we need to encourage one another. In Hebrews 3, it says... But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, 
so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And one of the ways that we do that is here at church. We're meeting together. That's one way that we encourage one another. But also, really crucially, is that we have relationships where we can be vulnerable, where we can be accountable. And here at Mosaic, we call that our discipleship triplets. And for me, I know that when I have good accountability, when I'm, when I'm willing to be vulnerable and to be open about my life and the things that are happening, that my relationship with Jesus is so much better. As I'm vulnerable and open, actually rather than guilt and shame that I think that I'm going to feel or that I am carrying, speaking out brings freedom and forgiveness. And so often other people are able to um, remind me of truth so much better than I can on my own. You see, sin is deceitful. And so often we can listen to lies rather than truth. And we need other people to help us to see those lies that we're believing and to speak God's truth over us. And thirdly, we need to come into God's presence. And because of Jesus, we have confidence to do that. The way has, like, He has made a way for us to know the Father and to have intimacy with Him. And in the psalm it says, Come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Come, let us bow down in worship and kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so, as I've already said, we've got a choice to make. Are we going to listen to God's voice? Will we be like the Israelites who never made it to the promised land? Or will we hear his voice? Will we hear God's voice and obey? So today, do not harden your hearts. And maybe today you've actually never accepted Jesus into your life. And maybe today is the day. Maybe as we've sung about God and you've heard about him, you want to take that step and trust that he really is above all else, that he really is enough, that he really is the good God that we've been singing about. But maybe also, actually, you know God. But I think for all of us, there's a risk that we harden our hearts. And various different things make us do that. Sometimes it's that we're faced with a really difficult situation. And then, you know, the Hebrews are being written to at a time when actually they've experienced a lot of persecution. They've known, they've known what it is to suffer. They've known hardship. And while the Israelites, they were faced with a really difficult situation. They were without water. They thought they were going to die. And then, I just want to share a story. Um, my grandpa had a stroke recently, um, and so he has been hospitalized for the last six months, and he's lost um, all movement in the right side of his body. So he can't do very much at the moment. But every time I go to see him, he is full of joy. You see, my grandpa has known Jesus most of his life. And not only has he known Jesus, but he has spent his whole life telling other people about the goodness of God. And even though he currently can't do very much, and even though his life is completely limited to his hospital room, in the last six months, he has led five people to Jesus. And he is full of joy. And I want to be like that. But 
the reality is that so often when I'm faced with difficult situations, I think, God, can you really come through? Are you really who you say you are? Can I really trust that you are enough? Can I really trust that you are good? And it helps to look to people like my grandpa who can say, yes, I've lived for over 80 years, and yes, I can declare that God is always good, that even in difficult circumstances, he is still the same God. Even when life doesn't necessarily get better now, the reality is is that we have a future that is secure. We have a hope in a life where we will be with God forever. But also sometimes we are, our hearts are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And again, this is something that I struggle with. Sometimes, like the Egyptians, not, not the Egyptians, like the Israelites, I look back to Egypt where there are cucumbers and pomegranates and melons, all those really good foods. And I think maybe the world actually can offer me more than God can. Maybe actually God's way, sometimes it's hard to live um, the life that God has called us to. But the reality is, is that God's way is always the best way. And so today, do not harden your hearts. And as I've been preparing this, this has been a massive challenge for me. Am I going to harden my heart or am I going to stay obedient to Jesus? Am I going to continue to trust in him and his word? Am I going to keep on fixing my eyes on Jesus? Um, And so I'm going to invite Mary and Toyin back up. um, And as they come up, I'm going to pray for us. Um, Yeah, that we would hear God's voice this morning. And that we would remain um, yeah, obedient to his calling on our lives. Um, yeah, if you'd like to stand, please do. Father, thank you that you are a good God. Thank you, God, that you are the creator of the whole world. And yet you call each of us your own. You know each of us by name. And God, I pray that this morning, that wherever we are, whatever our relationship with you is like, God, I pray that our our hearts would not be hardened, but that we would hear your voice. And we would hear that your voice is one that is kind. Your voice is one that says, come, come to me, come into my presence, come to me, and you will find that I am more than enough. And Jesus, I pray that we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we would trust that you really are enough and that you really are who you say that you are. In your precious name, amen.